0: All right, it is time to work. This is Bo Matthews at your service on the Voice of St. Louis KMOX. You know, last week I shared with you. uh, a new term that I had never heard called doom scrolling. That's where you get on your social media and you just scroll and scroll and look at headlines and video. And it gets exhausting. It's not healthy for the mind. It really is not. We all have to be engaged uh, at some point. I usually check the news, you know, once or twice a day. Uh, of course, it's easy to do here on KMOX. We always bring you the best news and the most uh, most latest updates uh, that we can find possible. Because we want to communicate with you what is going on in the world. So doom scrolling was our lesson learned last week in your homework. But here is another term you can learn and maybe even use. Uh, Do you have coronavirus caution fatigue? Because when it comes to adhering to the recommended safety precautions to protect us against the coronavirus, uh, wearing your face mask, practicing social distancing, uh, are you as diligent as you were at the start of the pandemic? Because honestly... I'm not. I'll sit out in front of a store and just to see how many people are, you know, going in with a mask. Of course, there's some uh, in St. Louis County that are really diligent uh, to their rules. Uh, but if you've been feeling a bit fast and loose with those uh, rules lately, it's called caution fatigue. So, you know, share that with your friends and family. You'll sound really smart. But uh, it, it, it is really just a, a tough time as we continue to go. You see headlines like Florida's seen COVID-19 case. Cases skyrocket among uh, young people, which is uh, scary. Um, You know, the other thing is uh, like uh, some Trump staffers that were in Tulsa last week are in quarantine after that trip. New York is going to be randomly checking flight passengers to ensure they they quarantine for coronavirus. So you know that's that's a different way we're going to have to live. Although I've talked to some friends that have traveled uh, specifically on Allegiant Airlines, they said hardly anybody was on the plane. Of course, I shared with you last week that flights were as low as like twenty five dollars one way, and I keep getting those email reminders of those uh, those really cheap flights. Again, on Allegiant Airlines, which uh, I think is the only airline I've flown in the last like three years. I think they do a great job. We've been to Arizona. uh, We've been to Florida. And with uh, cheap prices and everybody's looking for uh, new scenery, well, that's definitely uh, something to look into if you just need a change of scenery and get out of town. You know, uh, coming up in the program, uh, we've got a lot of things planned for you, including a list of day trips from the St. Louis area and some of the activities. You know, there's so much to explore and to see uh, within a day's drive. Actually, not even a day's drive. Within a couple of hours, heck, you could leave early in the morning, go enjoy a full day camping or hiking or whatever, and you can come back and, uh, and sleep in your own bed at night, which is an absolutely wonderful thing. Another thing on the show that we're going to talk about is uh, a coin shortage. Have you heard of this? Have you experienced this? This is brand new. It just happened in the last few days, and I want to share with you my experiences with it and how it shocked me. And uh, we'll even uh, talk to uh, somebody in banking uh, to confirm what they know about the U.S. Mint's coin shortage. We'll explain that. Also, if you are one to indulge in a great Bloody Mary. You like that uh, beverage? Well, Tony's Sweet Heat Peppers is a St. Louis-based local company. Tony Patton is the owner. And he's such a sweet guy. And he just left me a voicemail saying, man, we got big news. And I want to share it with you and your audience. So we're going to talk with Tony Patton and Tony's Sweet Heat Peppers. If you like spicy uh, with a kick, if you like uh, you know something that's not painful but flavorful like me, well, stick around to uh, listen to Tony Patton with an update on his company. He's about ready to go big time. You know, we could go on and on about famous people that have come from St. Louis, whether they're TV or movie stars, musicians. Uh, Andy Cohen is from St. Louis, Chuck Berry, Ellie Kemper, Jenna Fisher, uh, Jackie Joyner Kersey, of course, John Hamm, Uh, great names, great careers that they have gone on from little old St. Louis or the Missouri area uh, that have really done wonderful things and become household names, if you will. Uh, Cheryl Crow is not too far from St. Louis. Well, there's other people that go on to do great things that are a little bit more behind the scenes. Take a listen to this.
1: Here we are on a stunt driving course practicing, this is how to do a 360. You want to get up to about 60 miles an hour, but you got to be kind of violent with the e-brake and the steering, here we go. Easy as that, right?
0: That is Danny Bopp, and he is a Lone Dell, Missouri uh, native, and he's in Hollywood doing great things. I'm excited to talk to him because of all the things that he's done, from go-kart racing as a little guy, all the way to doing uh, stunt driving for TV commercials, or driving for uh, TV shows, or maybe even movies that you've seen. So we're we're going to talk to Danny Bopp here. Coming up next, it's an opportunity that came about by simply having a conversation with a friend. You've heard the term Six Degree. To Kevin Bacon, it's a it's a game that you can mention an actor and within six. Degrees, uh, you can find a connection to Kevin Bacon. Well, I was having a conversation last weekend with a buddy of mine, and he, for some reason, just has all these people's phone number uh, in his phone. And we start talking about uh, Danny's father, actually, about racing and uh, his involvement with NASCAR. And Danny Bop uh, actually went on to be a go kart driver and an actual race car driver, like a legit asphalt race car driver. And then decided, you know what? I'm going to head to Hollywood. And that's exactly what he did. Coming up next, we've got the first of two parts uh, in our conversation with stunt driver from Hollywood, California, but from Lone Del, Missouri, Danny Bob. My name is Bo Matthews, and this is the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. All right, it is the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. My name is Bo Matthews, and a friend of mine knows a guy, and uh, he was name-dropping, of course. Uh, and we were talking about people that have become famous uh, that have come from St. Louis, people that have been TV stars and movie stars, but the people that do the real work, it's kind of like doctors are really important, but the nurses do all the work. Well, in Hollywood, the stunt guys and girls uh, are the ones that do the really heavy lifting, and so small world... We have Danny Bop or Danny Bope—I guess either is acceptable. Welcome to St. Louis and KMOX, sir. How are you, sir?
1: Well, thanks for having me. First of all, I appreciate that. And wow, what a what a—that's a hell of an introduction. I really appreciate it.
0: I'll tell you what—I uh, Randy is a, a dear friend of ours uh, that goes way back, and uh, he was—he uh, just—we were just talking. We were hanging out. We usually go get a bite to eat, and he's got stories upon stories. And he started to talk about uh, this guy that was from Lone Dell, Missouri and uh, talked about race car connection and building frames and chassis. And this is the this is your dad that we're talking about, Glenn Bop, Bop or Bope. And uh, right away, he name-dropped uh, uh, Kenny Schrader. And, of course, everybody knows that name from the NASCAR world. And then he started to talk about you. But before we get to what you're doing in Hollywood and, and all the crazy things and where what Hollywood's doing right now, Danny, I'd like to talk to you about where did your – life behind the wheel start i mean you were a little guy and in you know, a like a homemade go-kar right
1: basically yeah um so uh you know a, a lot of people say like well how did you how did you get into racing and i never really got into racing it was always just literally like right in front of my face every day um and so i grew up grew up around it i thought it would i, I thought it would, everybody was a you know grew up around it so um but yeah i mean my dad glenn Bob, he had um his race car business where he built chassis and um built race cars and you know rusty wallace mark martin uh daryl waltrip uh ken schrader uh so many famous nascar drivers uh older now but you know i mean legends racing legends right. started uh, essentially started their careers with them um and when they were teenagers rusty wallace and ken schrader worked for it, my dad
0: what? um
1: yeah. <laughs> so, so the stories goes, keep going. <laughs>
0: this this goes back further than even I I realized. Uh I've got a connection with CB King in, Incorporated which uh, was a huge sponsor for uh for uh Kenny and still yep. has a great partnership. So these were these were just your dad's friends, right? That were just around the house all the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, of course. So again, I thought it was totally normal, you know, having race cars in the in in my dad's shop that was yeah, I think it was about 5,000 square feet, but you know, he had uh Uh, jigs and, and, uh, you know, paint booths and engine bays and everything else. And, you know, it was a full racing operation. So, um, that was totally normal to me, but I mean, where I started driving was, um, and I guess it was about five or six and, you know, we always had golf carts and go-karts and scooters and mini bikes and pretty much anything on wheels with a motor. And, um, uh, so I started about five or six just messing around with stuff. And, um, I specifically remember. I think I was about nine, but I was racing around, um, you know, our property because we had our shop, and then it was like a gravel driveway in, in Lundell, um, in Londoel, Missouri. And uh, I was just racing around, you know, kind of off-roading uh, in this go kart. And uh, our friend Randy, uh, he he said to my dad, you know, as I was racing by, he goes, "That kid's going to be the next Jeff Gordon, and I want to sponsor him." So <laughs> he's responsible <Wow>. driving career. <laughs>
0: That's that's crazy. Now, so you were born into your dad was already doing the race car business when you were coming up when you were born, and I mean you you knew no different. What did he do before race car the race car business?
1: Well, he, uh, long before I was born, um, so I think in like the fifties and early sixties, uh, okay. he had an auto body shop, um, and then that evolved into a full blown race car operation from, I want to say the mid sixties to about eighty two. Okay. Um, I'd have to ask my mom about those numbers, but or 1983 or so, and then
0: it was all your it was your whole life. Your whole life, you were around motors and, and wheels,
1: constantly. Yeah, all the time.
0: And I thought my dad was the coolest on the planet. I mean, I had a mini bike. <laughs> I went on a motorcycle ride, but I don't know. I think your dad might have raised the bar on this one. Uh, <laughs> your your dad's been gone for uh, some years now, but lots of memories. Uh, but so so when Randy said he that you were a gifted driver, he says to your dad you could be the next jeff gordon uh what happened then what did your dad do
1: well uh so randy did sponsor us um and he supported us with his with his uh company there in missouri and and so we built our first go-kart and um another family friend gary hayjacks and my dad built the cart from scratch built the frame and everything uh and a local engine builder, um, Shane Fessler, he supplied us with the uh, with the engine, the first engine. So, and while doing that, uh, we had a, a big backyard, like a big field um, with a pond and everything. And uh, he he plowed up a, a dirt track for me to practice on.
0: <laughs> okay, your dad's the coolest. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. I mean, it was, yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing.
0: That's crazy. So, um, so your dad building uh, full size rolling chassis for the NASCAR business, if you will, uh, is now uh, shrinking his his skills down to a go kart for his son. How fast were these go karts going when you hit the track? I mean, you you know you're legit driving now. How fast
1: did they go? Uh, I think at my fastest, I went about 75, um, and I was like 12. It's <laughs> so pretty crazy because there's different age age brackets. Um, you know, you have restrictor plates on on different engines and stuff right, based right. on your age bracket. But uh, I do have to mention, um, my dad actually raced really early in his life when he was a teenager and he raced McCullough engines, like double engine, um, go-karts. Oh my goodness. That, that went well over a hundred miles an hour. And I think he placed in the top five in the world at the, the you know, 1950 something championships.
0: Sure. So maybe so. his dad was even cooler than your dad. <laughs>
1: <Maybe>. <laughs> <laughs> so, so
0: tell me about your first year. So here you are running around on go-karts and golf carts on your property. Then you get a legit go-kart. Uh, and, and you get to an official race. Tell me about that first year. How did you do? Were your stats good? Were you were you the natural that Randy, uh, our friend, suggested
1: you would be? He saw something in me that I didn't know I had. So, um, yeah, I mean, my first race was in um, uh, at Beaver Creek Speedway in Illinois. Did you do good? I did. I won my first race. Yeah. Come on.
0: Right out of the yeah. gate. <laughs> yeah. Wow.
1: Um, so then I raced, uh, yeah, my first year I raced in, in Greenville, Illinois several times um in different parts of Illinois and then I raced in Missouri as well like St. Charles Speedway um no longer there but I raced all dirt uh and I practiced some on asphalt
0: but your your trajectory to get to legit asphalt racing moved pretty quickly right
1: uh it did yeah i mean um you know it's it's definitely a different feeling uh going from dirt to asphalt yeah. um but uh yeah i mean the natural pro- progression i took was go karts into Uh, smaller cars called bandoleros and legends cars and then open wheel cars like midgets and sprint cars. So, wow.
0: Are are you still a NASCAR fan today?
1: I am. Yeah. I watch it. uh, Not, you know, consecutively, but I watch it quite a bit. Yeah. Right. Right. You know know what it feels
0: like. You know know what it feels like
1: to be behind that wheel. I do. Yeah. And (laughs) it's, um, you know, it's something that a lot of people don't really understand is that, um, you know, you can, you can see, the what athletes are doing like in basketball or football or, or right. hockey or something. But, um, you know, you think you're just kind of sitting in a car, but, uh, it's really intense and it is, it is exhausting. And- uh,
0: there's a, there's a documentary that you shared with me before we had, we're having this conversation and I watched it. If you can relive the, we're, we're talking with Danny boat, by the way, stunt, uh, stunt guy from uh, Hollywood. Uh, tell me about that first time your dad said, no, I want you to drive like this.
1: Oh, <laughs> So the cart, the Go kart just got built. I was about ten or eleven years old. And I was going up for my first test run on our homemade right. racetrack. And um, you know, I was I, I got up to the track, I was terrified. Uh and you know, I just had this helmet that was too big for me that Ken Schrader actually uh supplied to me, which was right. really nice. <laughs> um and I, I finally got to the track. I just kind of putted up there. And then I, I started making laps around the track. And my dad said, you know, just try to make like momentum laps. Like start off slow and just kind of keep building up speed. But I was so terrified of this cart because um, it's, it's, it was loud. and It was powerful to me at the time, you know. And so I was putting around and I only made like five or six laps. And he waved me in and he, he just immediately shut the cart off. And he goes, just get out. He goes, I don't, what are you doing? And I was like, "Well, dad, I'm scared. I don't know, you know, how to properly like, you know, hit these lines and everything else you're saying." And he goes, "All right, just get out. I'll show you how it's done." So he sits on top of the seat. And I said, "Well, don't you want a helmet?" Or he goes, "No, I don't need it." So <laughs> so he has a cigarette in his mouth. He sits on top of the seat. And he just takes off. And I guess all of it came flooding back from when he was a teenager of how to race. And so he's just flooring it around this track immediately, the whole way around. And I mean, I don't know, going at least 50, 60 miles an hour around this little homemade track. And, wow. And it made about three laps or so. He, his hair's blowing back and stuff. And then he 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 slammed on the brakes next to me and he uh, he gets out and he goes, that's how you race. And that's how I want you to drive.
0: <laughs> well, it sounded like you listened to him pretty good. It was well, a hard lesson. <laughs> I bet. I bet. We're talking with Danny Bob, his dad, uh, very famous in the NASCAR world, uh, Glenn Bob. Um, and, you know, again, I, I mentioned, that, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that have been famous that have come from St. Louis, actors that we see in TVs and movies and uh, TV shows and movies and stuff like that. But you have elevated, you've gone through all the racing life and you made a decision to go to Hollywood. So we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and I'd really like to not only find out about how you've done in Hollywood and maybe what we could look for, uh, you know, shows that you've been in, uh, but I'd also like to find out the temperature of Hollywood and what's going on in the world during this you know, coronavirus world, if you don't mind. You got a minute? Yeah, of course. Okay, Danny Bopp is our guest on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. It's, when you're a celebrity. it's, Adios, it's The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. My name is Bo Matthews. And through a friend of a friend of a friend, I connected with a guy who is a local guy from the Lone Dell, Missouri area. Uh, that went through uh, the racing stages from go go kart to you know the, the the professional drivers, and then at some point uh, decided I'm going to Hollywood and maybe become a, a stunt driver. His name is Danny Bob. Danny, welcome to the Voice of St. Louis KMOX, and thanks for your time. Um, at what point and what age did you said did you say okay I'm done with racing? I want to I want to maybe go out to to Hollywood and see what goes on, or how did how did that happen?
1: Well, racing is a is a I I equate it to kind of a drug (laughs) Yeah. in the fact that the feeling is the same and that unfortunately the finances can be the same as well. So uh, racing is is incredibly expensive. And I I never, you know, uh, you can ask any race to this that's been doing it for a number of years and they never quit racing. Sometimes racing quits them.
0: So you knew Uber driving was not going to be the thing you wanted to do. (laughs) <laughs> no, i did not want to i didn't want to deliver pizzas yeah i, I did um, that be careful i did that one when i was no, that's nothing wrong with that. Hey, pizza's great <laughs> but i drove like a nascar driver no i'm just kidding you uh, <laughs> exactly. the cheese was all slid to the side <laughs> <laughs> right um so so how did you how did you find out that uh stunt driving could be a thing
1: for you well back in 2005 there was a guy that we were trying to do some dealings with um uh for my racing career and he had kind of like this connection here a friend of a friend of a friend and and um he said you know there's a lot of commercials and tv and movies that film in la and stunt driving is something that um you know is done a lot in hollywood and i never even given it a thought or or just you know it never even entered my mind so um it uh so then i came out here for a few months to give it a, a shot like in 2005 just to kind of feel around what's going on and and I kind of got the bug right away. I was like, "This is something I really need to to focus on because this could be, um, potentially, could be a great career." You know, right. and and that's what it is. Like people, you know, if you come out to to Los Angeles, and I finally came out here in 2010, um, and I've been living out here ever since. And if you, you know, people think that if you get off the plane that in Los Angeles and you're immediately a star if you want to be that, you know, <laughs> that's not the way it works. Come on. What are you no, talking I know, about? No, I'm sorry to, I'm sorry to shock everyone here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is, you know, it, it's, it's like anything else It you know, it takes proper education practice and, and you have to look at it as a, a long career. Um, and Rob King, a friend of mine out here, he kind of mentored me in the beginning. Um and told me this is this is a career, this is not just some overnight success thing. It's something that you have to really work towards and right. and kind of um, you know, um uh kind of dissolve yourself into the whole industry and, and ten thousand really
0: hours, right? Ten thousand hours to perfect anything.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. It applies to that as well.
0: And so do they have stunt driving schools out there?
1: Uh there are some. Yeah. There are some stunt driving schools, which is a it's kind of like um it's kind of like your associate's degree for college, you know, it's like, Oh, okay. It's a good start, but, uh, the real, real world is different. And, you know, on set is different. And, um, just having that experience and that resume to back it up is, is kind of paramount. So
0: I, 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 you know, it always amazes me. It catches me off guard. I can be watching a movie, whatever it is. And it can be a really intimate scene or something like that. And I'm like, you don't realize that there's hundreds of people behind that camera that are making sure everything goes the way it is, and I'm sure it's 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 got to be that way for you, especially for the safety aspect of
1: it. Oh, of course. I mean, and that's the that's the whole that's the whole name of you know commercials, movie, and TV is that um, y- you want to if you're stunt doubling somebody or or you're driving for an actor or something, you want to make it seamless to where it doesn't distract from the the scene. You know, if I'm if I'm supposed to be doubling somebody and I don't look anything like them, then people are gonna even viewers are gonna be like, oh, what? What was that? Right, right.
0: <laughs> Yeah, the old uh, the old TV shows like Chips, uh, I'll, you know, now with the DVR, you can stop it and you can, you know, really look at it. It's like, that ain't punch. there ain't no way, you know. Uh, yeah. So they do, I guess you got to work with CGI or that's all done after you've done what you've done?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a ton of CGI in, in bigger budget movies and TV shows now. Um, but it still doesn't replace, uh, the actual stunt doubles, you know, that are, that are, um, doubling for the actors, uh, you know, doing some sort of action scene or falling down or, or getting pulled on a wire or something like that, or driving a car. So, so
0: are you doing more than just driving? You are a stunt man. You do all kinds of things.
1: Yeah. So my, my overall basis is stunt driving. Um, cause that's, okay. you know, obviously my history is racing. So, right. um, but I have kind of evolved into, um, you know, tackles and fights and falls and being tossed off of ships and all that okay. fun stuff.
0: Nice. Yeah, oh, I did see the video clip of you jumping off the ship or, you know, being thrown off or whatever. Oh,
1: well, it was We're definitely talking- thrown. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't jumped off.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't voluntarily. We're talking to Danny Bopp. He's uh, from the Lone Del, Missouri area, but he's living out in California now. Um, so my, I know because I'm anxious to ask, and I, I hope you don't take offense to this, but who are some of the people you have doubled for that, that we would know?
1: uh well i i worked a ton on um i guess it's been a few years it's been a year or two or something but i worked a ton on ncis oh wow Uh, i gotta say i mean those are really great cast that's a whole great casting crew um they've worked together for several years they're just everything's just a well-oiled machine so i doubled um sean murray which is mcgee on the show Yeah, yeah um and again great guy um the whole cast is amazing and uh, I'd say that's probably one of most my most consistent runs. Right. Um, you know, I've worked on uh, Run Marvel's Runaways. I've worked on uh, Criminal Minds. I worked on. I love
0: um, that show. Yeah.
1: Yeah, The Last Ship. I uh, worked on. Um, man, I'm drawing a blank right now. and pull up my resume.
0: It's just another. <laughs> it's just another day at the office. It seems like to you. I, I just think it's impressive. It's interesting too, uh, because I, I saw on your IMDb account uh that you've done a lot of uh, shots for commercials like uh you know the the jeep commercial in the sahara desert or whatever you've done a lot of that driving of course the little words that say don't try this at home or something of that that sort uh <laughs> right. but you're the guy that tried it at home didn't you <laughs>
1: yeah everywhere actually yeah uh and it's funny it's um you know you're you're pushing these vehicles to the absolute limit and it's um not at all what the the vehicle should be used for on a daily basis but <laughs> it gets it gets used like that on set all the time. So, yeah,
0: I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my, my head around it and you've obviously been able to do it, Danny, uh, that you go from driving fast and turning left all the time to now you're doing all these stunts. And, and I'm going to post your uh, your uh, demo reel, if you don't mind, on my social media so people can go to Bo Matthews Facebook and, and see this, um, you know, the the stopping on a dime, the you know, the parallel parking without, you know, do, with all the tricks. I mean, how do you learn it? something like that? You just get out there and do
1: it? Well, here's the thing, like uh, you know, obviously you learn a ton from racing. Uh it does a lot of the things do correlate um from racing into stunt driving. Um but there's a lot of differences as well, you know, the the hitting the marks is the same and the, the you know, getting used to the speed and and control of the vehicle, but you know, it it's it's kind of, it, it's kind of like um you know, uh, a screenwriting versus like writing a novel. You know, it's like it's kind of similar, but there's a lot of differences. So sure. Uh, I had to practice a lot for the 10,000 hours. Yeah. Um, I had to practice a lot. So I would go to empty parking lots and, you know, I, I bought a, uh, a, a Nissan 350Z Z that is my practice car. And um, yeah. yeah, I had to, you know, I had to learn a lot of the, the drifting techniques techniques and, you know, how to stop exactly in a, in a 90 box and, you know, do parallel parking box and things like that. And, you know, you just, just keep practicing. You're going to get there, but it, you know, the racing definitely helped me a lot with it.
0: So what does a Hollywood stunt driver drive for a daily driver car? What's your, what's your, <laughs> you know, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask, what's your personal vehicle?
1: Oh man, this is so pathetic. It's actually a, a Chevy Volt. <laughs> yes,
0: that's awesome.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know you think it'd be like a GT 500, you know, 67 fastback or something, but
0: <laughs> no, no, it's the studios. You, you run that with them. And
1: <laughs> right. Um, yeah.
0: Well, uh, so I, I do want to ask before we go, um, uh, the, what's going on in Hollywood right now during this coronavirus? It seems like shows have just, just shut down. Uh, commercials, are there, is, is anything going on for you right now?
1: So, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, um, you know, Hollywood and, and the world for that matter was basically shut down, um, you know, on every industry, yeah. but especially production. Um, you know things are coming back extremely slow at this point, at least in los angeles I i've been getting some calls about utah um atlanta uh maybe about a month ago because you know their their restrictions were lifted a little bit sooner oh yeah um, but it is if you think about it i mean it's it, it, being on a being on a movie set or a commercial set or, or t v set is um You don't think of how many people are behind the scenes, but if you look at it, you're looking at several hundred people all gathered together uh, that may call for a concert scene or, you know, a big church gathering scene or something like that. And you have people of all ages, maybe kids, uh, elderly people or something. So it's a really dicey um, and difficult thing to navigate. Um, Now, the stunt aspect of it is kind of difficult to navigate as well because there's a lot of physical contact. Um, you're, you're doing a fight scene, you're right. falling downstairs, you're tackling one another. Um, and you know, you might be working with people of all different, uh, health capacities, ages, things like that, you know, depending on what the scene calls for. So no. it's, uh, I'm glad I'm not the one in charge. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds
0: like every industry on the planet is changing and shifting and moving. And, and you guys are no different Hollywood and uh, actors and stunt people. Uh, well, I, I hope you stay safe. Um, I do appreciate the time you've spent with us and, uh, St. Louis in Missouri is proud of you from Lonedale, Missouri, Danny Bopp. And again, check my Facebook page. I'm going to share some videos that you'll get a kick out of, uh, watching and knowing, you know, Hey, when I saw that Jeep commercial, now I kind of know the guy that was doing that. So Danny, thank you very much. Be safe. And hopefully we can talk again soon. Okay.
1: Thank you very much, Bill. I appreciate it.
0: All right. Really cool. Danny Bopp. A local boy done good. Another local boy that done good is a guy by the name of Tony Patton, Anthony Patton. He has a company called Sweet Heat Peppers, and he's got a big update for his company. He left me a voicemail, and I, I was like, okay, I got to call the guy. So we're going to talk with uh, Anthony Patton coming up next on the Voice of St. Louis KMOX. Me, It's the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. My name is Bo Matthews, and my next guest is—is uh, is, if he's not famous now, he's—he's he's famous in my world because I follow him on Instagram and this guy, he's the guy that's putting up these wonderful pictures of all these great recipes that he's doing, and I get, my my mouth salivates every time I see what he's cooked for dinner or for breakfast. Please welcome to the Voice of St. Louis KMOX, my friend, Anthony Patton. We call him Tony Patton from Sweet Heat Peppers. Welcome, buddy. How are you, man?
2: Hello, I'm doing wonderful. Glad to hear from you, and, uh, Life, life couldn't be better, as we were talking a little earlier off the line there. You know what? God works in mysterious ways, and it's, uh, it's, it's actually a wonderful thing.
0: Well, your call came in this morning, and I thought, you know what? I haven't talked to you in a couple of years, and uh, so I'm glad. And your voicemail said you had some big updates. Now, people may know your company uh, from the, the store shelves, Sweet Heat Peppers and Sweet Heat uh, Bloody Mary Mix. But uh, tell me what's going on with Sweet Heat Peppers. Is is it growing? Is it booming? What's going on, man?
2: Well, Bo, to to give you the great news for everybody out there that is a a great supporter and to all my accounts, I will let everybody know what's going on. And and what is is happening is um, I got picked up by a company by the name of Fox River Dairy Distributors here in St. Louis. They're a local company. They actually own half of Dogtown Pizza.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
2: Yes, sir, and they're going to be my distributor. They're going to be putting me into a lot of new places right now. Um, I cannot mention it because it's not it's it's under the lining, but it is happening. So <laughs> you're such a I, tease. I, I
1: will, yeah.
2: So let's just put it this way: all the big places that you know about, I will be in. Um, it's going to be great. I, I will I will let you in on. it. I will be in the local Deerberg's, lo, local Schnucks and some other big companies, and a whole lot more with them. Um, I got picked up by a company by the name of McCarthy Spices Blends and Blends here in St. Louis. Okay, Um, They are a spice and blend company, and they started a co-packing about a month and a half ago. So they started co-packing, and I was told to reach out to them. They were trying to reach out to me also that I found out. They are my new co-packer. They are a large company. And the big news is I have a jalapeno made out of my jalapenos, the sweet heat jalapeno. I have a dry rub being made for ribs, chicken, steaks by them using my jalapenos. And they're also going to do two barbecue sauces for me that I've already have in gear um, and already made. My recipe's already made. They're going to follow up with that. So,
0: I have three new products actually coming out, though. So, I, I want to back up just a little bit to, to let people know where I ran into you first. When we first crossed paths, it was at, well, now the defunct Gold's Gym. And uh, and Tony is like this uh, this heavy lifting, huge, thick, bodybuilding dude. And we connected uh, a few years ago, and uh, we started talking about spicy foods and sweet heat peppers. And I told him, man, my dad loves hot anything, spicy anything. I, I love spicy. I love hot, but I don't love pain. I like flavor, and you brought sweet heat. You br- no, you brought sweet heat peppers to me, and I tried them, and they were fantastic. So I, I want to go back even a little bit further. Where did the recipe come from? This is not your recipe necessarily. You might have modified it, but who really introduced you to these uh, these jalapenos the way they're they're displayed now and, and served?
2: Well, to be honest with you, where it starts at, it's about thirty four years ago. I was just bringing regular jalapenos and cheddar cheese and crackers to my friend's house on New Year's Day um back in the day mm-hmm. when all, all the bowls all the all the holiday bowls would be played clayton football well my mom comes from a very large farm um god bless her heart um but anyway they came she was canning and pickling all the, all the sisters she came from a family of 9 and the sisters canned and pickled I called her up I said, look, I'm bringing something boring to this party every New Year's
0: Day. Can you help me? (laughs) I don't want to be embarrassed, Mom. Come on, help me out.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Everyone was bringing chili sandwiches. Here I am bringing sliced up jalapenos with cheddar cheese and rich crackers. Right, That's the true story. So her and my Aunt Judy came came together. I asked if they could help me out Uh, about three or four days later after I had called her came up He gave me about three to four recipes to, to iron out and do my own thing with and in all actuality, that's where phony Sweet Heat Jalapeno's recipe came from and it's actually from my Aunt Judy and my mom and then I just I just rectified it a little bit more and added a little bit more things to it and that's how that came about.
0: That's so cool and, and you know what? You have not forgotten where you came from. You're given credit to where credit is due and Tony the timing of this whole thing is fantastic because as we've learned in the last several months with coronavirus and you know stay at home orders people are cooking at home now and people are looking uh, to you know to change things up a bit and as i mentioned earlier that i follow you on instagram and there's never a picture of you maybe a picture of you with your kids maybe once in a while but uh, there's always pictures of the food that you were uh, preparing and you definitely got the cooking gene from your family right
2: um, my cooking gene came from my mom, the old country. Um, and she taught me how to cook and she, yeah, it actually is, um, a lot from her.
0: It's bread in you. Yeah. And you say the old country, what, what, what is your nationality? Where are you from? Um,
2: I've got a whole lot of German. I got Italian. I've got, um, Cherokee Indian. So i I've got a little bit of a mixture in there. It's some Swedish, a little bit of Swedish, but. Um, and all actuality, Bo, you know what? It's old time country cooking is where I learned how to cook.
0: There you go. Love that. Well, I, I, like I said, I love seeing your uh, pictures on Instagram uh, some call it food porn. And that's what I would, you are a food porn star. Did you know that? <laughs> you know what? I've been told that, but I haven't gotten paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. So, so, uh, on the shelves already is the sweet heat peppers and the bloody Mary mix, which has got to have done gangbusters. Cause I've tried both and they're fantastic, but now we got dry rubs coming and barbecue sauces. And you are from St. Louis, and what better marriage is that than St. Louis and barbecue? And you're part of it now.
2: And and you know what, Bo? If, if you don't mind me saying, you know, what, anybody out there that's dealing with this Corona, we all know how it is, Bo. We just talked about it a little bit before the show here. Yep. You know, I just want to put the word out to everybody. You know what? Stay strong during this whole time. Don't let anything get you down. Stay away from the media. Don't listen to them because. You got to live, and you know what we just got to do, and just believe in the Lord above, because it's all going to turn out to be okay. And just and if anyone that's really wanting to dream and go for the dream, don't let this bring you down. Keep just just keep just keep going, and keep t- going.
0: And Tony, you are proof that a dream can come to reality, uh, just in this sector alone. Uh, but my best to you and your family and your business. So, uh, Tony, Sweet Heat Peppers is the brand and uh so right now we uh we, we should be looking for how soon before we get the dry rubs in the barbecue sauce
2: um the dry rub i can tell you right now is probably going to be out in a month and a half okay and the barbecue sauces we're hoping because there's a little bit of a backlog on because of the virus the barbecue sauces do take a little more time than the cook down and all that so I'm being told probably at the end of July, mid August, the new, the the barbecue sauces will be out.
0: Okay. Where can people find you online? What's, uh, well, I know I, you can find him on Instagram if you want to see his uh, food pictures.
2: On Facebook, I am Anthony Patton, but you can also find me at Tony Sweet Heat Peppers. And on Instagram, it is Sweet Heat Peppers.
0: Tony, great to talk to you. Thanks for the update. I can't wait to try out the new products that are be coming soon, um, and uh, and I wish you well. And let's uh, reconnect here real soon so we can find out what you got cooking uh, for uh, for 2021, okay?
2: That sounds great, Paul. God bless you, and thank you very much.
0: If you like uh, food with a kick, that's your guy right there, Tony Patton. Tony's Sweet Heat Peppers. All right. Stay right there. Next on the program, our special guest is an author of a book called The Conflict Resolution Grail. The timing for this book couldn't be better. Mesa Malecki is my guest next on The Voice of St. Louis KMOX. It is The Voice of St. Louis KMOX. My name is Bo Matthews at your service. My next guest is an author with a brand new book out called The Conflict Resolution Grail. And when this uh, email came to me uh, from a publicist uh, talking about uh, this this new opportunity to talk to this uh, author... I thought, boy, there's never been a better time. Uh, Mesa Malecki practices as a family lawyer and accredited mediator at Malecki Barristers in Toronto, Canada. Her fascination with the complexities of interpersonal and human dynamics led to a career of fighting for justice with training at Harvard Law School's Negotiation and Leadership Program and a a family mediation internship at the Toronto Superior Court of Justice. So welcome, Mesa Malecki, to St. Louis and Wex. How are you, ma'am?
3: Thank you very much. I'm very well and very happy to be here.
0: Well, congratulations on your book. It uh, just dropped, and uh, and I, I I wish you a lot of luck. I did get a preview uh, of of the book itself, and I made it through some, not a lot, but I made it through some of it. but when i when I heard the title of the book, I'm judging the book by its cover, The Conflict Resolution Grail." I thought, boy, we need this more than ever because there's so much strife going on in the world, in the U.S., of course, uh, with you know, rioting and protesters. But let's get down to uh, the the grassroots of where this idea uh, came from uh, to write this book.
3: Yes, uh, so you know, in my years uh, of training as a law student and, and a lawyer. I was never introduced to this incredible literature on conflict resolution theory. It's incredible that, you know, lawyers go through law school and all they learn about is what we call in law school. Uh, an adversarial model of conflict resolution, which, you know, really pits two people's interests against each other in a very adversarial manner, right. uh, which, uh, you know, subsequently escalates the conflict. So when I took my up mediation training and negotiation training, I thought, wow, this literature is so incredible. It made such a difference to me in my practice as a lawyer. I became more strategic. I became more skillful. I became more conscious of my own conflict resolution style. And then in my everyday life, in my, you know, with my own family, with my friends, with strangers, and, you know, conflict is everywhere. So uh, I thought, you know, really, this is knowledge that should uh, trickle down to the consciousness of the everyday person. These are tools that it's that really shouldn't be resolved for the professional conflict resolver. They're tools that everybody, and, you know, especially our kids, should know about, and uh, we should practice, and we can all become effective conflict resolvers. And so that's how the inspiration for the book began, but, you know, I must tell you that uh, as, as incredible as this literature is, a lot of it coming from the Harvard Negotiation Project, actually, what was missing from the literature, in my opinion, was really the, the Eastern wisdom. And, um, you know, the, the teachings of the Dalai Lama, what he says about conflict resolution, uh, the Eckhart Tolle. And I thought, you know, I really need to marry these two worlds together. I need to provide the world with an integrated approach to conflict resolution. And if you look at the triangle on the cover of my book, there are three dimensions to, to, uh, you know, uh, make, creating a, a better humanity, you know, having a cultural shift. It isn't just the tools, but the tools are such an important part of it. It's it's awareness, compassion, and the toolbox that we all require. So that's how the inspiration for this book came uh, came to me. And I, and I, I thought I, I really do need to provide this uh, 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 this knowledge and share it with
0: the world. Well, and from what I've read, just a little bit of it, I, again, I haven't read through the whole book, but I will. Um, it is interesting uh, how you really dissect uh, the, the communication between people and how we internalize conflict. I mean, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm not into conflict. I don't want to deal with it. I'll just I'll just, you know, turn the other cheek. Um, but what you bring to the table with this book, I believe, in just the little bit that I've read, is uh, much of our responses to conflict are subconscious. And once we realize that, this is actually something we can train ourselves to better deal with conflict. Would you agree?
3: A hundred percent. That's why I say conflict is not to be feared. The, the the conflict is inevitable. So we can't, unless we're prepared to completely forego meeting our needs, we must learn to uh, face conflict and we must learn to do it effectively and the more effective we become the less afraid of it we become
0: and less conflicting it feels like right
3: That that's absolutely right because (laughs) then you know wow you know I can be good at this
0: right right and anybody
3: can train themselves to be good at it and what you touched on about the subconscious programming is absolutely right and this is why I said at the outset part of the uh, inspiration for writing it was to ensure that parents can can teach their children from an early age because research now tells us and you know Dr Bruce Lipton talks about this quite a bit of how children's brainwave activities are predominantly in the the delta and theta waves. So they're the same brainwaves that, you know, uh, people have during mindful meditation or people have uh, during hypnotherapy. So they're incredibly suggestible, uh, incredibly susceptible to programming at a very um, early age. And all they see when they turn on the TV is violent. Yeah. Good guys pitted against bad guys. You know, our cartoons are replete with subconscious programs about violence, and that's all they learn. And then they watch their parents, who most of most of them are also trained in. Either you should be passive or you should be aggressive. Exactly. There's no other, uh, you know, uh, strategies taught to little children, and that's how they grow up to be. And that's why these subconscious programs then guide our response to conflict resolution, which is, you know, quite inept for most of us.
0: Mesa Malecki is a family lawyer and the author of the new book. It's brand new, The Conflict Resolution Grail. Uh, I think of, you know, just everyday conflicts. Uh, not not where we're we going for dinner, honey, but uh, I think of business uh, negotiations and meetings. And to, to call them conflicts is not necessarily true. It's more, you know, conversation about getting to the same goal for everybody. So in the business sense, I think this may really be a good uh, a good read for anybody that's you know well for anybody it, it's it, you can use the the rules and the, the lessons in here for family, for business, for politicians when you're looking at that. Um, but you do dissect how to identify conflict personality, the competitor, the accommodator, the avoider, the compri- the compromiser or the collaborator. You want to dig in a little bit on that.
3: Sure. So before I do that, just to your first point, absolutely. So as I said, because I don't think, uh, you know, this sort of integrated model of conflict resolution uh, was out there, I do uh, I do believe that absolutely the professional conflict resolver will take away a lot from this book, uh, but it is also for the everyday person. And so part of the reason I identified these five, uh, uh, you know, conflict resolution styles is for people to become more self-aware of who they are because, you know, It's just like the way you go to a doctor and, you know, they say half the solution lies in identifying the issue. It's the same thing. So if I if I know that I am uh, avoidant by, uh, uh, that's my predominant style of conflict resolution, I can talk myself to be something else. So the competitor, for instance, is somebody who, you know, who cares about winning at the stake of the relationship. The accommodator is someone who cares more about the relationship than about the problem. And about meeting their own needs. The avoider doesn't care about much either and doesn't care (laughs) much for the problem and doesn't care much about the relationship. The compromiser is somebody who cares about both but cares about both uh, only, uh, you know, somewhat. So the, uh, the collaborator, which I call the high-leverage behavior of, of effective conflict resolvers, wants to maximize the gain on both sides and cares about the relationship. So right. cares about solving the problem. Uh, you know, the classic orange story, just to give people an idea of what I'm talking about, is what we were taught in mediation, uh, in mediation training, and it's about two sisters quarreling over an orange. Uh, you know, sort of you would think the rational way of, uh, of dividing the orange in half would give them each what they want and they can then walk away from walk away with half the orange but and, and that's certainly what the compromiser would think is the rational solution. Uh, but the collaborator would ask each of them why they want the orange. And one of them says, well, I want to drink the juice. And the other one says, well, I want the skin because I want to bake a marmalade cake. <laughs> and now each of them gets to walk away with the entirety of the orange with no value left on the table. And wow. there's no resentment built because they each get exactly 100% of what they want.
0: That is, that is crazy. And that's in the book. I, I didn't get to that part.
3: Yes. That's also in the book. Okay. Yes. But that's a great
0: yes. way to explain it. I, you know, as you're talking and I'm, I'm, i I think everybody is learning right now, but you know, we all have internal conflict and decisions that we need to make. Do we continue doing, you know, going down this path or do we, do we stop? Uh, do you, do you speak to that part just about internal conflict that we have?
3: are you talking about individual yes. internal conflict individually?
0: Yes. I mean, when well, you when you break down all the different types of uh, conflict personalities, uh, again, you know, everybody has that internal conflict of making a decision. Again, more important than where are we going for dinner? It's more about, okay, do I make this life change here or do I wait or do i do I negotiate something else?
3: There is a in the chapter on persuasion, I do talk about. Uh, I do talk about the different decision-making styles and and you know how people make decisions uh, because uh, the the you know much of uh, influencing the other side is about understanding their decision-making uh, personality. So I do talk about that in that context, but I talk about it in the context of uh, of, of how to become a better persuader.
0: It is a brand new book called The Conflict Resolution Grail. Her name is Mesa Malecki, she is the author of this new book, and we are going to dive into the conflict we're seeing in the headlines every single day next. My name is Bo Matthews, and this is the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Mesa Malecki is uh, the author of the new book, The Conflict Resolution Grail, and I'm sure, Mesa, that you have been watching the news uh, of around the world just like we all have been. Uh, can you even imagine the timing of the release of this book in, in this world that we're living in? I mean, it's the timing couldn't be better, but now we just need to get the book in front of the important people that can make big decisions. Would you say? Uh,
3: a hundred percent, a hundred percent. You know, the book has a chapter on empathy, which is so much of what is needed in the present conflict, uh, that is going on in, in the United States in particular, uh, Uh, you know, the book talks about destructive emotions, and uh, there's an entire chapter to building emotional skills. And uh, the, you know, people have a right to be angry, but uh, display of that anger, uh, you know, in the manner that it's sometimes done is not the right way to go. So, uh, you know, so, so I talk about the drivers of conflict, the entire history behind why we're seeing this conflict unfold before us, and perhaps You know, uh, if people have the right tools and if the framework, uh, the current framework, and it's not a quick fix strategy, but if there's a better framework in place, then I'm hoping for a world where, um, uh, you know, uh, we wouldn't be in the situation we're in now.
0: Would you say that it's true? I mean, you, you delve into the history of conflict and the biology and the inner workings of conflict humans are really not that much different over the course of time over the you know thousands of years or whatever your belief is there's not a, there's not a lot of differences but this this group over here is this way and they think this way i've always said that uh democrats and republicans are like as different as cats and dogs or men and women it's just it's so different so the biology the the science of uh dissecting a conflict it, there really are lessons to be learned to come to a Collaborative goal, would you say?
3: Uh, well, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's, there's. Uh, I talk in the book about how differences can actually be a, a source of, uh, uh, you know, reconciling because two parties may, you know, want uh, may, they, You know, I may like pears and you may like oranges. Right. And if I, and if we know that, we can trade the orange for the pear and get to a deal. So differences can actually, in none of its, in none of themselves, be a way to resolve a conflict situation. Uh, The other thing uh, that, you know, to keep in mind, I talk about compassion in the book, and I talk about, uh, you know, uh, how polar opposites can come together. uh, And, you know, the yin and yang can come together to, uh, and that's sort of the way the world balances itself.
0: Yeah, it's necessary to have both. You have to have that.
3: You have to have both, and there's a great beauty in uniting both of those forces together, and so as opposed to seeing, uh, you know, this us versus them uh, to sort of get away from that framework and, uh, to, to use our differences as a way to, uh, uh, to actually get to a resolution.
0: What do most people not know about conflict? If we haven't covered it already, I'd love for you to answer that question. What do, what do most people, I'm, you know, I'm just Joe Blow on the street. I pick up your book. What, what do most people not know about conflict?
3: Well, um, I think, you know, interrelationship of, uh, for instance, power to conflict is something that people don't consciously think about, Uh, but power is uh, another one of those conversations that we rarely have, but it's so important to have, because, um, you know, building power, uh, you know, again, again, it's one of those things we don't want to talk about, is an absolute prerequisite to effective (laughs) conflict resolution and to advocacy, frankly, and so, uh, that's, I think, one of the things that people, in addition to becoming aware of their conflict resolution style, need to pay attention to. And there's a chapter on, on power. I talk about how, for instance, building inner sources of power can tip the power equation in, in your favor, even when the worldly power, power favors the other side. And knowledge is one of those things that gives you immense amount of power. And so, um, uh, I would say, you know, people need to be paying attention to the sub-conversations of power, trust, boundaries and the ego, which is how I, how I start the book. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, the, the empathy, uh, having empathy for your fellow man, I think is also huge. You know, something I just did, I'll, I'll, I'll share with you Mesa is, uh, George Orwell's 1984. You've read it. I'm sure maybe in high school. Uh, I read it as an adult about 15 years ago and then I read it again. I just actually finished reading it and it is amazing. Uh, the book is amazing in itself. But the afterword that was written uh, in this book, it talks about conflict, and I think it's ironic that I just finished this book before talking to you. Um, the, the afterword was written by Eric Fromm, and in that, to surmise what he says, is there will always be conflict. There will always be conflict in the world, whether it's on a personal level, a business level, a family level, a political level, or a, a you know governmental level, there's always going to be conflict, but there are, can there always be a resolution? That would be the question.
3: Yes. So, it. Def- I guess it depends how you define resolution. Um, I believe that uh, all conflict, you know, does conclude in fo- one form or the other. Certainly, the goal is to get to a resolution uh, before, uh, you know, uh, we get to a very bad place. In the legal context, just to give you an example, for instance, we always try to get to a resolution, which I define as problem-solving. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when we fail, though, we then require a judicial authority or an arbitral authority to give us a disposition that ends the and conclu- that ends the conflict so ends the, the the problem that was the source of the conflict but what it doesn't deal with is the underlying toxic emotions that will uh, you know withstand the test of time and they they likely will linger on long past the conclusion or the judicial disposition that was given to a party. so so you can solve the problem but the toxic emotions won't go away as long as uh, you know uh, people don't know how to have these emotional skills that I talk about in the book, and if they if they don't uh, get to change the framework to one that is more compassionate and that one one that is based on awareness,
0: compassion listening a rule that I learned as a young man was uh, my dad told me you have uh... uh, uh, two ears and one mouth. You should listen twice as much as you talk (laughs) is what he told me. And I, and I've kind of led that way. It led my life that way. Uh, but I, I just, I, I think it's a fascinating subject and the timing again could not be any better. It's called the conflict resolution grail by Mesa Malecki and available anywhere. You can buy books.
3: That's correct, yes. You can get the copy off of Amazon and all of your local bookstores.
0: Fantastic. Again, uh, for anybody, anybody that's a business owner or a head of a family or in a family, uh, or just for your own personal, I, th- I think it's just so important. And I'm so glad you wrote this book. Mesa May- Malecki, thank you so much for your time and joining us in St. Louis on KMOX.
3: Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Coming up next, I want to talk to you about a coin shortage. Have you heard of this? I mean, I know we had the toilet paper shortage of 2020, uh, but a coin shortage. I'm going to share with you an experience that I had not once, but twice, and I want to just see if you've had the experience as well. My name is Bo Matthews. This is the voice of St. Louis KMOX. It's the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. My name is Bo Matthews, and something kind of strange happened to me this week that I wanted to share with you, and it happened not once, but twice, and it's the fact that there is a coin shortage going on in our country. Yes, coins are the new toilet paper when it comes to shortages. So I was at the gas station yesterday. They said, oh, we're having a coin shortage. Would you like to donate your you know, change? Because let's say the, the total was $1.74. They're asking me if I wanted to donate the 26 cents to Folds of Honor, which is a charity. You know, It's a, a charity for military families. And I said, well, what's going on? They said, oh, they said, well, we have a coin shortage going on. And I was like, okay, yeah, go ahead and donate it, whatever. And, they, and I grabbed a pamphlet and I walked out. Well, I went yeah. back to the another gas station today, same brand, same kind of store, and uh, so I went in and I bought a donut. It was a dollar and the guy said, "And this is a different location, different guy." And he goes, "Would you like to donate? Uh, would you like to round up your your change and donate that to?" Uh, folds of honor. So I asked him a little bit more because I was a little startled yesterday and now it's happening right away today. And he explained that there's a, a coin shortage going on. And he goes, if you want your change back and you don't want to donate, which makes me feel un-American because it's a charity for American soldier families. I said, yeah, can you explain this? And he goes, yeah, uh, the, the mint, the U.S. mint uh, has been down on their production because of the coronavirus, their restrictions of work and everything. And they said, uh, if you want your change back, I have to give it to you in a gift card not, they're not gonna give me change. And I'm like, and I kinda looked in his drawer and he had no coins in his, in his drawer. And I was like, what is going on here? So I did a little homework and I looked online Sure enough, U.S. Mint production staffing is down because of the coronavirus, and and now I understand that. And I do want to mention that Folds of Honor is a wonderful organization. They provide educational scholarships for children and spouses of military servicemen and women killed or disabled while serving our great nation. So uh, Quick Trip was the store that I was in twice in the last couple of days, and hats off to them for kind of you know adjusting for the need to help out this great organization, Folds of Honor. But then I got to thinking, well, I'm going to do some homework here, which I did, uh, but I wanted to talk to somebody in banking. My sister-in-law is in banking, and so I just wanted to find out, do you know anything about it? When's the first you heard about it? Um,
4: I heard about it Monday from a customer, and my boss, too. Everybody I work with my boss are just like, yeah, no, that's not true, because if it was, we'd be the first ones to know about it. But then, when I went to order money Wednesday, I'm like, look at this. And then there we go. That's the first I heard legit from the Fed.
0: So they actually like they put an email out or something.
4: I said, well, I have a system that I have to click on in order to order money, and they'll they'll put like a warning saying like make sure you order enough twenties for your ATMs or whatever. And there's a warning that says due to COVID that there's a there's a change shortage. So. So do not be surprised if you order change and you do not get your full delivery. So what I did is I ordered double of everything.
0: See, it's kind of like uh, when the TP was running short. It's like, hey, if you can get it, double up on it, right?
4: That's exactly right. <laughs> I told them, and definitely buy two ply because you can always separate
0: <laughs> <laughs> So did you get your money order?
4: Oh yeah, yeah, and that's that's like what the guy said to me today. He's like, I don't know what connections you have, but you're the only one that got your full coin delivery. So I know that, like, my other two buddy branches, they got their full change order.
0: Well, with all the headlines we're seeing, statues being torn down and stuff like that, my mind, immediately went to, is it because the presidents are on the coins that they're discontinuing? And it's not that at all. That would be a conspiracy theory. But that's where my brain went to with all the freaking headlines that we're seeing, right?
4: Oh, my gosh. I love conspiracy
0: theories, too. Like, I believe this is going to be all done and over after election day. <laughs> you think? Uh, yep. Well, and I, you know what? I don't even like to call them conspiracy theories. I just like to call them theories because it means people are trying to think. They're trying to figure out what's going on, right? Right. But uh, it just caught me off guard today that I that uh, the guy couldn't give me – and he wouldn't give me my change. Actually, he, he first asked if I wanted to round up my change, and all i said i didn't say yes or no i just said can you explain what's going on and that's when he went into his little diatribe of you know well there's a coin shortage or whatever i'm like what well he only handed me my bills back he never did hand me the coins so he just took it assumed that i was going to donate which i did and it's a good cause i guess but i just i just felt like weird that this is happening and it's happening so quickly. I mean, coin shortage, what? I just, I just don't get it. And I knew if anybody would know, it would be somebody in banking and hello, my sister-in-law.
4: I don't know about you guys, but like when we got our stimulus check, we I didn't go direct deposit into my account, didn't get a check. We got mailed the prepaid debit cards.
0: Oh yeah, I've heard about that.
4: Okay. So that's... I said to myself, not that we're going to get a second stimulus check, but I'm telling everybody that has these cards, do not throw them away because if we get a second stimulus check, they're going to reload it onto these cards.
0: Right, right. And I did hear that uh, that if you don't, uh, if you go to an ATM that's not in the network of that card, they're charging you some big fees too.
4: Oh, you're not kidding. And let me tell you, you can go to a bank and you can withdraw the whole entire amount out and with no charge. But if you take, that's what I always tell anybody that gets a prepaid debit card, go to your bank, have them run it as a cash advance on a credit card, it's a debit card, and you're not going to get a charge, you're just going to have to show your driver's license, no big deal.
0: All right. Thanks to my sister-in-law, Carrie, for your assistance. Good talking to you. Love you, and I hope to see you soon. Okay, we're going to switch gears here on KMOX now, and we're going to talk about the food fight. Yeah, we've been doing some food fights, and we are looking for your input. Now, we had our very first food fight to figure out who was going to win the best burger in the St. Louis metro area. The very first food fight, the burger battle, uh, congratulations, goes out to the winner of Seamus McDaniels. Everybody thought that Burger Battle uh, definitely went to them, and be sure to try out their burger next time you are in the Dogtown area or any of the other local spots from the Burger Battle. Uh, That includes Max Local Eats, High Point Drive-In, ooh, they've got good burgers, O'Connell's Pub, Carl's Drive-In, Bailey's Bailey's Range, Layla's Five Star Burger, uh, The Dam, Village Bar, Olive and Oak, or Capital Grill all great burgers at all of those locations, but uh, that was the very first one. Now, we're just wrapping up the Deli Rumble. The Deli Rumble at KMOX.com. You can get your vote in, and hopefully your favorite is on that list. The, The amazing thing is there's a lot of great delis around the St. Louis area, and I don't want you to miss out on getting your voice to be heard. The Deli Rumble continues uh, with uh, great locations. Uh, Joya's Deli, which I have just been exposed to in the last uh, six months or so. I've been twice. Fantastic. But the best sandwich shop or deli that you love going to, would it be Mom's Deli? Blues City Deli, La Grande's Pickles Deli, Adriana's on the Hill. Uh, I just had an Amagetti sandwich. That was uh, running, running right up there to the top. But you have until Sunday night to get your vote in for the uh, the best sandwich shop and deli. And then starting in July, appropriately, we will begin the food fight, the category best barbecue restaurants. And there are so many, right? St. Louis is uh, known for so many great barbecue restaurants, Pappy's, Sugarfire, Bogart's, Salt and Smoke, I've never been there. Uh, the Beast Butcher and Block, never been there. Duke's Barbecue Shack, Stella Hog. Uh, there's a whole bunch more to add to that list, including uh, Super Smokers Barbecue, Bandanas Barbecue, uh, Sawmill Barbecue, Smoky O's, which is really uh, great. I've been there to uh, what's the Arnold location, I think, is where I was. Big Woody's, Miss Piggy Smokehouse, Hendricks Barbecue, Highway 67 Barbecue. Those are all going to start uh, July one in the KMOX food fight. And I don't want you to miss it out. We all love good food, right? Well, again, you still have time to get your favorite sandwich shop or deli, uh, voted for that is going to end on Sunday night. So make sure you get your vote in at KMOX.radio.com. Does it even feel like summertime to you? It's a little weird, right? A lot of people not uh, traveling very far to go on vacation or to get away or just a change of scenery. I understand that RV sales are through the roof. Well, I came up with a list of day trips from St. Louis with some great activities that I want to share with you because if you're just scrambling for ideas, I mean, how long can you go with the blow up pool in the backyard before the family's like, ah, we got to get out of here and do something. Well, I'm going to share with you some of these day trips that are from St. Louis that you can go and come back the same day, go camping if you want overnight. Some great ideas for you I'm going to pass along next on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. It's The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. My name is Bo Matthews, and a lot lot of fun we've had in the last couple of hours. We're not quite done yet, Because I know a lot of people are struggling on where they're going to go on vacation, if they're even going to plan a vacation. My wife and I, we've been looking at each other like, well, do we drive somewhere? Do we fly somewhere? We don't even know. But I found a list of day trips from St. Louis with uh, different activities, and I'm going to get to that. But I wanted to start the call off with uh, my buddy Jerry Kirk from Brookdale Farms in Eureka. And for the last several years, he's had floating going on at the Merrimack and has been doing a great job. And uh, so, Jerry, welcome to KMOX. Sir, How are you?
5: Oh, well, doing good, both. Thanks very much.
0: People are looking for uh, a new scenery other than the four walls they live in and uh and I got word that uh, your floating business is through the roof.
5: Uh yes, yeah, actually it is. It's been uh it's been a pleasant surprise for us. It's been uh it's been great. Uh we've uh we've added a bunch of equipment and added another bus and just to keep up we're we sell out just we've sold out almost every weekend for the last four or five, I guess. And um, we're just having a great time. Everybody should be having a lot of fun. You know, the, the pools are closed, but you can still swim in
0: the Merrimack. I think the beautiful part is is that you are so close to St. Louis, and I know people are still kind of freaking out, you know, and I know there's people that go to the Lake of the Ozarks or Lake Carlisle or whatever, but it's so nice when you can go to the country and it only be 30 minutes from downtown St. Louis. So explain what goes on. Are you, of course, how does social distancing work with your floating? Uh, are you guys? Do you have rules for the floaters and all that good stuff?
5: Well, you know what? Well, uh, everything for us it, it kind of works out really good because the only time we really have to concern ourselves with anything is in the in the buses, and the buses are you know windows down. You know, we've got two sixty air conditioning. We roll down all the windows to go about sixty. So it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: redneck air conditioning, thank you.
5: <laughs> exactly. So it's so it's so it's safe on the bus. You don't know, think like that the are moving and all that kind of thing, and then. Um, and then people, are, you know, they're they're in their own groups because you've got your own equipment that you're you're floating either rafts, canoes, kayaks, or two. So they're basically with their own family groups and, and or friends that they've been around, things like that. Right. They're on the river, so they're pretty much. Uh, so we really don't worry about too much, you know. Plus, we're actually we're on the Jefferson County side of the of the river, so we're just we go by the state's uh, rules. And right now, we're you know we're pretty much unencumbered by any. You know, too many things
0: Yeah, that's good Now you rent all the things that you just mentioned Or can people bring their own? How does that work for Brookdale Farms?
5: Well, we, uh, so, yeah, we rent tubes, rafts, canoes, and kayaks Okay um, We'll let, you know, we, we'll let people bring their own something If they want to during the week On the weekend, it's just so busy that we just You know, we have, it has to be a rental from us
0: Right, um, right
5: And so everybody, they, they come to our place They park, park their car We plus them upriver it's either a four-mile float for the rafts or the tubes, and then a nine-mile float for the canoes and the uh, canoes and kayaks, and then you float right back to your car. So there's no waiting for a bus to leave or any of that kind of stuff.
0: And for those people that are thinking about, okay, I'm going to do this. I've been wanting to do this. Well, you know, I've been wanting to do it. How long does the <laughs> how long does the nine-mile float take? Any idea?
5: Um, I would, you know, it depends. I would say that if you're, um, you know, a normal person doing the normal, uh, doing your normal, you know, stopping and pat, you know it's probably three to three and a half three to three and a half actual hours of float time. And then you're gonna add to that when you stop at the sandbars and swim or if you picnic or
1: you know, whatever a,
5: you know, enjoy the food, adult beverages, whatever, it's gonna add to your time, you well, know?
0: Yeah. I know I know people are looking uh, for just another place to go to, and again, I've I've always loved Brookdale Farms and what you guys do out there, uh, and and it's just so close. That's the biggest thing. Um, and is yeah. your is your wedding business uh, up and going now? Is is are things moving for you now?
5: We did our first uh, wedding back about three weeks ago, um, but our event building has been has been going crazy too because we are one of the few we are one of the facilities that is open and able to uh, you know handle some groups. And so we've been doing a lot of graduation parties. We've got we did uh, we had a, we had a couple weddings last weekend. We've actually had um, we had the Wester Groves uh, senior class was there last, you know, last night. Oh, very a, cool. Yeah, kind of like a senior night kind of a thing. Uh, we have got something going on tonight uh, with another high school class. So I mean, we've we've got a lot of stuff going on and. Um, but you know, there's, there's still room. If you're looking for something to do,
0: That's great. whether you're having a
5: party or a graduation party or anything like that, we still have plenty of room. All
0: know? right. Well, thanks for taking my call. Sometimes you don't No, I'm just kidding. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for taking my call. You can find out all the information at brookdalefarms.com. Thanks for your time, Jerry.
5: You bet. Bill. Talk to you later.
0: You know, and if you want to go a little bit further out, I came up with a you know, and if you want to go a little further out on a, a day trip uh, from St. Louis, I've got some uh, some locations, some distances, and some activities. Pickle Springs is about an hour and 15 minutes away with waterfalls and canyons, uh, creek wading, hiking. It is uh, just a, a fantastic place. I've never been, but I've heard many of my friends that have gone down there. I've gone to Quiver River State Park. Have you been there? That's about an hour from St. Louis, and they have fishing, swimming, and hiking Also, uh, Echo Bluff State Park look that up. Two hours and 41 minutes from St. Louis. They've got cabins if you want to stay a couple of days or even a night, creek swimming, splash pad, fishing, floating. Carlisle Lake, that is kind of like, and everybody in Illinois is probably going, no, 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 don't say anything, don't say anything. It's kind of like a hidden gem in Illinois, and I've heard a lot of great things about it, but from St. Louis, it's about 90 minutes away. I know there's a lot of people that love to drive down to the Lake of the Ozarks for all they have to offer, and that's fantastic, but Carlisle Lake Fishing, swimming, beaches, again, less than 90 minutes from St. Louis. Mastodon State Park, if you've never been, they've got a very cool museum just down I-55 in Imperial, Missouri. So that's going to be about 30 minutes out of downtown. And they've got a, a great hiking trail. Uh, they've got two of them. They've got the Novice, and then they've got the, uh, the really hard one. Uh, my wife and I, we did the novice one. That was no problem. And for some reason, when her and I go hiking, we always are prepared with our half a bottle of water. And then we go for like five miles. It's just, it's crazy. But we, we did that. We did enjoy Mastodon State Park, but, uh, you've got to have good shoes on when you go there. Uh, the Lake of Egypt never been there. Tons of lakefront houses for rent for cheap. That's a little over two hours away. St. Joe State Park, if you haven't been, St. Joe State Park is about an hour and 15 minutes away. Fantastic swimming beaches, fishing, hiking. Uh, I've done ATV riding down there as well. That's a, a great place you can go to. You leave early in the morning, pack up a, a picnic, and lots to do down there. Mark Twain State Park. mm all these places are great. These are all day trips that you want to take, or maybe a couple of day trips if you've got the time. Cabins, fishing, hiking, swimming, beaches in Mark Twain State Park. That's a beautiful area. Uh, also, Sam A. Baker Park is a, a couple of hours away. Big Creek waiting. They've got hiking, fishing, and cabins. Uh, another another really cool place that I love to go to. It's down Highway 21. It may switch into another uh road, but uh Johnson Shut ins. If you've never been, it's less than two hours away. It's actually a very beautiful drive down there. And at Johnson shut-ins, you're really close to Elephant Rock Park as well. But Johnson shut-ins has wading, swimming, hiking, uh, and just to see the boulders that are at Johnson shut-ins. It is a sight to see. And I mean, truly something you could load the kids up and the family and go down and soak in that water. It, it's just an amazing sight to see. There's so many gems in the Midwest. And I just want to encourage you to, you know, make a plan. If you're not going to Disney this year, if you're not going to wherever you normally go to because of the, you know, because of the situation we're in with the coronavirus and all that stuff, These are great places you can go, get some fresh air, get outdoors. But next to Johnson Shut-ins, which is really cool, is Elephant Rock Park. And there's great photo ops there. These are the biggest rocks in the world. You can walk around them. You can crawl under them. You can crawl over them. Uh, And it was pretty amazing because last time my wife and I were down there, actually it was the last time and our first time down there, uh, we kind of missed the marker for the trail. And we kind of got off trail. Well, I had my phone with me, so I GPSed it. And what was amazing to me is how close uh, Elephant Rocks was to the Mississippi in relation to it. It was amazing. Just really cool stuff to see. Uh, You want to go a little closer to home, about an hour from St. Louis. St. Francis State Park does a great job. It's a a beautiful place. A lot of families go there. Again, wading, swimming, hiking, fishing. Just some ideas to uh, throw at you if you are looking for something to do. It's uh, the day trips uh, from St. Louis and their activities. And I, I really encourage everybody to get out. Get some fresh air. Get some exercise. And take in all the beautiful gems that we have within a couple of hours of St. Louis. Well, that is going to do it for me. My name is Bo Matthews. I thank you very much for listening. If you happen to have the radio.com app on your device, fantastic news. If you want to uh, rewind the show, there's a radio rewind button on there. It's easier to do than it is to say. I promise you that. But I thank you very much for listening to the voice of St. Louis KMOX. I will talk to you next week.